Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We are halfway through our Sunday morning sermon series to kind of kick this year off. We're calling it Generous, and our goal is that every believer in Jesus Christ would know the kind of joy that God wants us to have that comes with being a generous giver. We firmly believe the words of Jesus when he said that it is more blessed to be a giver than a receiver. Jesus says this is true about your life, that you will find and have more blessing when you learn how to become generous with your stuff. That you become a blessed person when you become a giver, not just a receiver. And so far we've learned that generosity of spirit, the willingness to share, comes from joy. When you have an abundance of joy in your being, in your spirit, in your heart, you will become a generous person. But the Bible doesn't just stop there. It actually tells us that joy is produced in you by awareness of God's grace. That when you know how gracious God has been to you, how undeserving you are, yet he's lavished upon you all that you would ever need, you return to that a kind of joy that makes you a generous person. We've also explored a couple stories, one that taught us about the power of possessions. And we got to wake up to the reality that, as Harold said, we live in an abundant culture, an abundant society, where in comparison to the world, we are incredibly, incredibly wealthy people. And we've got to be careful of that because as Jesus warned us over and over, your possessions have power. They can blind you to realities and they can bind you into slavery. And what he warned us to do was to make sure that we found a treasure located in a place that will be reserved for us for all eternity. He called that treasure in heaven. And where your treasure is, Jesus said, that's where your heart is going to be. So today, halfway through, we come to a famous story on giving, the widow and her two mites. And anytime you do any research, I'm sure all of you are doing a lot of research on sermon series and stuff like I do. I assume that's what you're Googling. And as you do any research about what churches are doing when they teach giving, this woman and her story comes up. The widow, poor widow, and her two little mites. It's a famous story. This woman who contributes to the temple treasury, not just a lot, but everything she had to live on for that day. This story sort of reminds me of a story I heard recently about a local church. Uh, they were celebrating their 100th anniversary. So after 100 years of meeting in a particular place, they decided to invite back all of the former members who had moved away and the current members to have a celebration for 100 years. And that during the service at that time, they were letting some members stand up and share some of their stories about how that local church had had impact on them. And there was one man who grew up as a child in that church. Uh, he was raised in their Bible classes, listened to sermons, and he grew up and he went away to college. And because of work, uh, he didn't end up coming back to that church to live the rest of his life. But over the course of his time, life had gone pretty well for him. He had been a really hard worker. He had made a few smart decisions, and he ended up at near the end of his life being a multi-multi-millionaire. He's very wealthy. 
And he returns home to this celebration. He stands up during the service and he begins to share um, how faith was planted in this congregation. But over the course of his life, he had just grown in more and more faith and trust in God. And he really wanted to thank the church. And he began to share a story about a uh, what he learned as a child there. He said he remembered earning at his first job in a paper route his first dollar bill. And he said, I decided when I was a young boy that I was going to keep that dollar bill for the rest of my life to be sort of like a memory or a memento to tell me to always work hard. And so I had folded that dollar bill up. I put it in my pocket and I decided I'm going to keep this dollar the rest of my life. He's telling the story. And he said, one day we had a guest preacher come in who was a visiting preacher. He was a foreign missionary. and He was sharing with the congregation the great opportunities, but the great challenges that were there um, in the mission fields. And so he goes on to tell the story how he was kind of gritting his teeth and just kind of wrestling with what he was supposed to do. And they began to pass the collection plate. And in his words, he said, well, the Lord finally won and I gave that dollar. And I believe, church, that God has blessed me greatly the rest of my life because on that day I decided to give God everything I had. And the church is, you know, they know he's a multimillionaire and there's kind of, they're kind of in shock and in awe and they love the story. And all of them are kind of suspensefully sitting there until one old lady in the front row just pipes up and says, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I'm not sure if he did or not. And that story's sort of funny to us, right? It brings up a little bit of humor. But there's something about that story that actually isn't always kind of funny, right? Because we don't necessarily want to relate to God that way. In fact, it's not all that funny because the concept is not always true, right? Like uh, you plant the seed of a dollar and I guarantee that God's going to give you millions. That doesn't always happen, does it? That's not actually true. And the story of this widow, this widow, is actually kind of challenging for us. First of all, it seems like on the surface when you read this story, and oftentimes it's presented as this beautiful story of a courageous woman who selflessly gives to God everything she has. And people sort of hold her up as this beacon of exactly how we are supposed to give. Now, the reality of this story is it's actually much more complicated. And I want to make sure you understand the essence of this story before we get to the end of this. And you'll find that this story, not only is it complicated, but it ends up being a little bit repulsive on one front. Now, there are some beautiful truths that we're going to learn about giving here in just a moment. But you've got to understand at the beginning what's ugly about this story before you can know what's beautiful. Okay? Today, we're going to learn the warning God has for us in giving. Then we're going to see the worth God sees in our giving. And we're going to finish with the source that God wants you to give from. Okay? Number one, the warning. In verses 41 to 42, we see that Jesus is the only one paying attention. The other disciples are sort of floating around, but Jesus is looking and he notices that there is a group of rich people, a bunch of rich people, walking in. And they were probably in what was called the court of the women, where there were about 13 containers shaped like trumpets metal containers where people would throw their money in and it would funnel down to a box where the religious leaders would gather, gather that money and um, not always make the best use of it, but use it nonetheless. And Jesus and just uh, is watching this and he sees the rich, man the rich people throw money in and then he sees the poor woman throw the money in. 
And before he calls his disciples to, to make his point, he notices this. But what I want you to see is if you go back in Mark chapter 12, just a moment before in verse 38, in the very same moment, look what Jesus says to his disciples. In his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They like to have the best seats in the synagogue and in the places of honor at the feasts. Now listen to verse 40. Here's what these religious leaders do because they love the attention and praise of men. Verse 40. These men devour widows' houses. And for pretense, they make long prayers and they will receive the greater condemnation. You see, there's actually a warning Jesus has for us in this teaching that he has for us here. These guys who are supposed to be teachers are actually, in this context, a bunch of thieves. These scribes who are called to be protectors of the orphans and the widows in their community ended up being the predators against them. He uses a few examples. You remember in Mark chapter 7, Jesus was accused of breaking the law. And he goes to those people and he says, you're telling me that I break your traditions because we don't wash our hands in a certain way. He says, I tell you, you break the law because here's what those scribes, those Pharisees had done in this time. They had actually begun teaching to people that it's okay for you to not take care of your aging parents if you say your money is what they called Corbin, which meant I'm dedicating this to the Lord. So here's how this will play out. Those of you that are maybe taking care of some elderly parents. They would say they would come to you as teachers and say, hey, listen, I know it costs money to take mom and take care of mom and dad. But if you just tell them the money you have a set aside to take care of them is for the Lord, you don't have to do it. Just call it Corbin. Now, what would motivate a religious leader to tell you not to take care of your parents, but to give to the church? They were lining their pockets. That's what they were doing. It's awful, isn't it? It's terrible. And teachers who do that should also be held accountable. Now, Deuteronomy tells us in chapter 14 that the nation of Israel was supposed to take care of the vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the alien, the stranger. God had instructed his people in the law, which was then in the hands of the scribes, to make sure they, from their treasury, take care of the widow. And they had built a system where they said the widow now has to take care of them. It's awful. Can you imagine? Now, now, try to bring yourself into this moment and not just think of this as a biblical text. Can you imagine if you saw religious teachers who have fine, beautiful robes, tassels and gold? They love the pomp and circumstance that surrounds them. Can you imagine if you watched that preacher, that teacher, impl implement a system in which a widow who, who has nothing at all feels compelled to give everything she has? What would you say to that widow? You'd be angry, wouldn't you? You'd want to protect her. You see, this is actually what happens in modern day, what they call prosperity gospel. If you ever watch gospel uh, preaching on TV, I don't recommend it, but um, there's some that are probably decent out there. But many of them actually prey upon the poor, the impoverished in, in our culture. They say God wants you to sow a seed of X amount of dollars. And if you do that, God will bring back to you blessing in your life. And if you go and they do an audit of these, these are nonprofit organizations of who their number one giving group is 
of these mega churches and these different teachers that say, give money to us, it's typically single mothers who are giving to them because they're down and they're destitute and they've been taught a system that says, give God your money and he'll bring back more blessing later. What they're telling them is, you buy God's blessing. That's a problem. You see, the two warnings Jesus has is this. Number one, we got to be warned about the reason for our giving. These guys have built a system that giving money was your only pathway to having a relationship with God. Salvation is up for purchase. Your blessing is up for purchase. You see, they taught the reason for giving was to buy your relationship to God. And unfortunately, this poor widow gave her last two tiny coins, probably because she believed that God would be angry with her if she didn't. You see, giving was designed to be an expression of your gratitude, not an expense you have for God's grace. Your giving was supposed to be an expression of your gratitude for how good God is to you, not the expense you incur to buy his grace. That's not how giving was supposed to be. Warning number two, not just the reason for our giving to buy God's grace, but the recipient of our giving. You see, they were giving to the temple. And what's interesting about this, the disciple, if you look down in chapter 13, just right after this part, it says in chapter 13, verse 1, as, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You see, they, they were walking out of the temple and one of the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, look how beautiful this building is. And Jesus warns there will be a day when one stone will not be on top of another. That poor widow gave because she was afraid that God would be displeased with her. And she gave to something that was going to be destroyed. You see, God wants us to give to things that are eternal. He wants resources to be used to invest into people being given the opportunity for eternal life. That's what God wants giving to be done for. So how that looks, God wants our resources to go to gospel-centered preaching. So we send missionaries and we preach locally so that people can hear the gospel. God wants the vulnerable to be cared for. Over and over in scripture you see, God says it's our responsibility to care for the widows and the orphan, the suffering and the sick, the hungry and the needy. He wants us to do that. You see, we're supposed to use money to remove barriers and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And investing eternally into people's soul will require us to have expenses here in the temporary. Yes, it's good for us to, make, to, to spend money on things that are temporary. But if they allow for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what we want to make sure that we ask about every dollar that we are using. So that's the warning. And I wanted to make sure you see this picture. That this context is actually a moment when Jesus is probably quite frustrated with the temple leaders and the religious people of that day. But regardless of that situation, he still looks at this woman and says, there's something wonderful for you to learn. And there's two things I want to show you. Number one, the value that God sees in giving. How God sees value. Now, if you go down to verse 43, you'll see Jesus says something about this woman's giving. There's two groups here. We've got a lot of rich people giving a lot of money. And then we have a single poor widow giving hardly anything. And Jesus says in verse 43 that this woman has given more 
than all of those people combined. There's a value system here that he wants you to learn. Now, let me just try to put this in perspective. Um, they were the rich of that day, and the Jews were actually really good givers. You notice Jesus doesn't condemn what they're giving, the rich people. He doesn't say they didn't give enough. He doesn't say they should have given more. What he says is just acknowledging the widow. But here, they probably were giving about 35% of their income. That's what Jews did. But as you can see in that system, they felt like they had to buy their salvation. So they eventually gave about 35% of their income. So if these people were rich in today's money, the average American household makes about $73,000. And if they're rich, what? let's just double that for our money's purposes. Let's say this household makes $50,000. They're rich, right? Okay, on an average day, that person makes, if they don't work on Sundays, just six days a week. About $481 a day, that means that 35% of that, that person probably gave equivalent to about $168 a day. A day. That's how much money they were throwing into that trumpet. Now, on the other hand, this woman, she's poor, low class. Minimum wage in Ohio is $8.15. And if she worked a regular day, that means that she would make about $65 in a day. And she gave two mites which is one sixty-fourth what you would earn for a work day. This is all she has, and she gave equivalent to today's money of one dollar and one cent. That's how much money she had. So we've got $168 thrown in, and a dollar and a penny is all she's got. Now just imagine for a moment, you have a dollar and a penny in your pocket, and you're in Pickerington now so could, because you don't have a car and there's Speedway and there's uh, McDonald's and you've got a dollar and you've got to figure out how to survive today on a dollar. How are you going to do? How are you going to pick? What are you going to buy? That's a tough day, isn't it? That's all she's got. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus says she gave more than all those people gave. All of them. In God's eyes, she gave more. Now get this. Not just in quality, but Jesus uses the word more for quantity. You see, we can use the word more or greater to be quality or quantity, like Jesus was greater than Jonah. That doesn't mean that he was two men and Jonah was one man, more in quantity. That means in quality. Jesus was more of a man. He was a greater man. But when Jesus says she gave more, he was not being metaphorical. He was being economical. He used the, number, the word that we would use to count numbers. Get this. In God's eyes, this woman economically, financially, gave more in quantity money than all those people combined. I want you to get this because in this room, you might be one of the rich, but you might be one of the poor widows. I don't know. And here's what he wants you to see. That God does the mightiest of work with the tiniest of offerings. Just think about it. He takes 300 people and defeats thousands of people with Gideon, right? He feeds 5,000 on a hill one day with five loaves and two fish. God does mighty, unbelievable, amazing things with the smallest amount of offering. And here's what I want you to know. Every little bit matters in your giving. Ten cents, ten dollars, ten thousand dollars doesn't matter to God. God looks at the will, not your wallet. He looks at your heart, not your hands. And he wants you to know the joy that comes with being a partner with him in ministry. 
The excitement that you can have with the anticipation of what he can do with your measly offering. He wants you to know the confidence that you can have that when you contribute, something will happen with that contribution. Something good will happen. So if you might be in here saying, well, you know, I'm one of those that don't really have much money. I'm stretched really thin. God still wants you to think, consider, how can I still participate even if you think it's hardly anything? His ability to work in our world is not dependent upon human wealth. He gets his job done regardless. And there are many people missing the blessing of being a giver because they think their gift doesn't matter. You see, he wants to take the measly and do the mighty. And that's an exciting thing. And that should involve every one of us. So the value that God sees in your giving is important, that he sees valuable regardless of what you can give. Number two from the widow, here's what you learn. The source God wants you to give from. Where does God want you to give from? You notice he says, she gave more than they gave. But he explains it, why it's more. In verse 44 he says, for they gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. Everything she had, all that she had to live on, she gave out of that. That is the word bios, meaning her livelihood. You see, the rich gave from their leftovers. This woman gave from her livelihood, and that's the difference. You see, becoming a Christian is designed to have impact on your life, right? We would all agree with that, right? When you become a Christian, we want the gospel to have impact on your life. We want your language to change. We want your behavior to change. We want your mindset to change. God wants to transform you through Jesus Christ, and giving is no different. He wants that to change as well. Our giving should have impact on our living. Did you get that? Our giving should have impact on how we live. For if we just give out of what's left over of the abundance of how we enjoy our living, we're missing the point of giving. Our giving should be born out of how we change our living. You see, we all actually make sacrifices in our life. Every person in this room is making sacrifices in their life. You might not always see it as a sacrifice, but you are. You work your regular job to take care of the things that you need. If you have something that's really important or something that uh, you need to take care of, you might pick up a side job to make sure that that gets done. Or you might find ways to scrimp on some of your expenses to make sure something gets done. And sometimes those are incredibly necessary things to do. Like maybe you've got a, a big medical bill that you've got to pay for and you've got to figure out how to pay that off. Or you've got a house repair that you don't know what to do with and it's really expensive. Or you're buried in debt and you've got to get yourself up out of that. And there are really good times for you to get serious about, you know, picking up a side hustle or scrimping on your expenses to get, take care of what is most important. But we're willing as people to sacrifice for what is necessary. Now, I want to pause to say this about giving. Scripture is explicit about this one point that we are called to take care of our families and ourselves with our resources. I don't think that God was actually wanting this widow to take everything she had to live on that day and give to the temple and not have anything to live on. 
I think he I think he used her as an example, but I don't think he wants us to say, okay, um, here's my money from our mortgage payment this month, but I'm going to give it to the Lord. I just know that he's going to send me a check later to pay for my mortgage. That's not how it works. In fact, Paul reiterates this point when he says those who don't take care of their family are worse than unbelievers. We have to do that. But here's what I want you to pause and think about. There are times I'm certain that we sacrifice. That we hustle and that we scrimp to make sure not just the necessary, but sometimes the unnecessary happen in our life. And that's the dangerous kind of thinking that I want us to be concerned about at times. For example, um, if you think this way, well, after I buy my new car and the new house and I get the new clothes and I take the vacation and I pay for all and every activity that everybody in my family needs to do, and then whatever piece I've got left over after all the things that I've wanted to do, out of that piece, I'll find some that I can give to God. That is giving out of abundance. Abundance. I'll give from what I have left. Let me offer you an alternative and be really practical. Let's say 2018 is the year you need to buy a car. And you look at your income and you look at your budget and you say, okay, I need to buy a car this year. And I know that I can afford $400 a month for a payment. I know that I can do that. Don't let them fool you into doing six and seven year loans, by the way. That, that tips for free. Don't do that. But let's say you can do $400 a month. What kind of car could you buy for $350 a month? To make sure there's margin in your life to be a giver. Let's say this is the year that you need to buy a house and you know you can afford the payment on $250,000. Have you looked in the range of 220 to 230 instead of 270 to 290? Because you know that's how we shop, by the way. You know when you figure out what you can afford, you always go about 10% more than that. What would happen if we went 10% backwards and just left a little bit of margin in our life to say, I prioritize in my life the opportunity to give to something that matters. You see, I think because we live in such a consumeristic, retail-driven, purchase, indulgent, comfort society, that we think 100% of my money needs to go to 100% of the things that I want to indulge in. And we have squeezed out any space in our life to be givers. God wants us to learn how to give from our livelihood, not just what's in excess. What if we looked to our kids and said, hey, I want you to be involved in activities. I want you to learn life lessons that sports have to offer you. But we're going to just do one activity at a time because I want to have margin of money and time to spend time with you kids so that we invest in what's important. This matters to us. And if you're in a hole right now, if you're financially strapped and you're saying, hey, every dollar I have is going to repay debts or get out of um, issues that I'm in, work like crazy to get out of that. Do everything you can. But as you make decisions, as you get out of those debts, think, how can I build giving into my life? You see, God doesn't call for your giving because he's handicapped if you don't give. God is calling for your giving because you're handicapped if you don't. We are missing the best of life if we don't have margin built into us to prioritize being givers. You were designed to live this way, but a massive amount of people who want your money and want your time are telling you you need to give it to them. And this is where our money oftentimes goes. As you consider this widow this morning, I want you to think about her. Yes, I want you to see that God does want everything from you. 
but not in the way you might think from this story. God is not asking for the last two coins that are in your pocket right now today. He's actually asking for the last part of your heart. He knows that. That when he gets every part of you into him, that when you find your life inside of Jesus Christ and know what he has to offer you, all of a sudden some of these other things will take shape. You see, he's asking for everything, not just in your money, but your life, because he knows exactly what it means to give everything. This is the basis on which Christianity was built, the giving of everything. Just imagine all the things that belong to Jesus that he gave up. The law that the Jewish people used to condemn him to his death. Jesus wrote it. It was his. The lips that were used to kiss Jesus in betrayal. He made them. The tree that was used to hang Jesus on the cross. He planted it. The stone that covered his tomb when he died. He brought forth that stone from the ground. Everything in this world was his. Everything. And he gave up everything for you so that he could have you to give everything to you. But you won't have the joy, the peace, and the love that he has to offer you if you won't actually come to him and let him give that to you. But you've got to see that it's your sin that keeps you from him, that keeps you separate. And it's our love for things other than him that keeps us at a distance, the living this sort of rat race that we're living sometimes. And he wants you to come to him and see his love and see his forgiveness so that you can have the kind of heart that makes you generous, full of joy because of his grace. Let's stand and sing. If you need help, won't you come?